0: Be warned prior to entry. Filming feelings may contain spoilers to any of the films listed in the description. Please check before you proceed. Thank you very much.
1: Warning, warning. The nuclear bomb is about to drop on your location. Please head to... Barbie Land! Hello there, lovely listeners, and welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. The teenager in typical fashion is cringing at my, at my opening bit. What's wrong with it?
0: Oh, it just was confusing.
1: Why was it confusing? I mentioned nuclear bombs and Barbie Land, which is the two things that we're talking about in today's episode. And
0: are two things that don't go together at all.
1: And yet somehow they do. Um, we today, lovely listeners, are going to be talking about the phenomenon that has been Barbenheimer. Um, of course, for those of you who, who maybe don't know, Barbenheimer is, is a kind of internet phenomenon born of the fact that uh, the films Barbie and the film Oppenheimer uh, released on the same day. Um and what started as just a little joke became a full marketing phenomenon uh, that has led to some pretty interesting commentary, um, especially given everything that's happening in the film industry at the moment. Um, but before we get into any of that, Cooper, you've seen both of these films once. I've seen them both twice at time of recording. Um, what did you think of both of these films? Start which which with whichever one you want to talk about first, but tell tell the audience what you thought of these films.
0: I thought they were all right.
1: You thought they were all right, okay? Explain.
0: Explain what?
1: Your opinion.
0: Uh. Hmm. Should I start with Oppenheimer?
1: Start with whichever one you want to start with.
0: So Oppenheimer? Okay. Um, So you want me to go into all of it, basically?
1: I want you to talk about your opinion.
0: My opinion is that it is a good film. Mm-hmm. I believe it has one of the best scenes in cinema history. Okay. If not the best scene in cinema history.
1: Okay. And do you think that it having the best scene in cinema history, do you think it's one of the greatest accomplishments in cinema history or do you think that that scene stands head and shoulders above the rest of the film?
0: To a certain degree, I think it stands above the film and I think that was the intention. The film is still great. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some good conversations.
1: Right. Some good dialogue then.
0: Yeah. And I liked how they switched between colour and black and white. Yeah. How they used that.
1: Mm. How they used it as a storytelling device, as it were.
0: Yeah. Um...
1: Do you want me to go into my opinions on Oppenheimer and then you can talk about your opinions on Barbie? Mm. So my opinion on Oppenheimer is I've watched a lot of Chris Nolan's films. Um, He's probably the filmmaker who I've watched the most of his, out of all of the kind of great auteurs, your Scorseses, Tarantinos, uh, Chazelle... That's a bit of a new order, um, Villeneuve. He's probably one of the ones who I've watched the most of his work. And I think this is one of his, um, if not his greatest cinematic achievements. I think it's a real condensation of what he as a filmmaker has been working towards for his entire career. Utilising, you know, um, practical effects, utilising... Um, non-linear storytelling, utilizing, um, you know, as Cooper just pointed out, different color palettes, you know, the black and white versus the color. All of these things are things that Nolan's been experimenting with for 20 years now. Um, But this film to me represents the real condensation of all of that into its kind of ultimate... um, crescendo um because that's to me what this film is it's it's the crescendo of a career that to be completely honest with uh the audience about i was a bit worried about nolan's career after tenant cuz while i didn't hate tenant it was just to me tenant was the culmination of all of the kind of not great things about nolan's work nolan's works very cerebral it's very non-linear it's very Um, talky Um, but it's also got a lot of action and a lot of um, you know uh, kinetic thrust behind it and Tenet to me was cerebral without heart and it was thrusting forward without any real feeling of momentum behind that thrust it was just a really strange film and it kind of highlighted to me the the kind of struggles that I think Nolan has when when making films as we all do but it was just really highlighted in that one whereas this one's a complete 180 degree turn for me it's like okay I th- I hope that from this experience Nolan has found what works for him um cuz I love this film and I agree with Cooper the scene that he's talking about which is the big nuclear bomb test that's kind of, um, you know, this film's been marketed around it a lot and there's there's a lot of talk about it. I mean, it is one of the greatest um, achievements in uh, visual storytelling because there's not a lot of dialogue over it. It's an amazing piece of visual storytelling, but there's a lot of other amazing things and I would argue that one of the greatest um, culminations of a film you know, one of the greatest kind of ends to a film is the way that this film ends. I think that it's just after you watch through the whole film, the ending just perfectly captures the energy of the film and you just walk out just feeling all of it at once. It kind of just puts a perfect, you know, kind of bow on, on the gift that is the lessons imparted on this film and you just take that with you when you go. Mmm. <laughs> anyway, Cooper, talk to us about Barbie.
0: Ah, Barbie. Okay. Barbie I thought was okay.
1: hmm
0: Uh I thought there were some funny jokes in there. Yeah uh some really funny jokes actually but i also thought there were like some really weird bits and such as not very funny i don't know um
1: okay so you can't think of exact examples but throughout there are just
0: a lot of awkward moments
1: okay and why why did that impact your Opinion of the film. What do you mean? Well, because awkward moments, you know, that... Because to me, yes, there are awkward moments in, in that film. But I think that they're a part of the storytelling. That there are these moments of um, disharmony and discord... ...that are there on purpose to then be resolved and I think that's a large part of the narrative. So I'm just asking whether like I'm asking about what kind of impact those awkward moments had on you as a as a viewer because it sounds like those awkward moments took you out of the film when in, in practice what Greta Gerwig, the director, is trying to do is pull you into the film.
0: Yeah, they did pull me out. Mm. Because I was sitting there in one scene, which was probably the most awkward scene, just going, oh, my goodness. What scene was that? I think it was that car chase scene.
1: The car chase scene.
0: I don't know how to explain it. Well,
1: just try and explain it. Because I can't recall from my recollection of a film a car chase.
0: When they're in the blue Chevy.
1: Oh, okay. chased. Yeah, by. Yeah, I gotcha.
0: You know, that's a car chase?
1: Sure. But why. What about that scene was awkward to you? Uh,
0: Because there was just. Between the dialogue of the driver, who's the mother, and. The, the girl and Barbie, it was just very awkward.
1: But that's the point of that scene. But still. The, the point of that scene is that the mother and the daughter can't connect because the daughter is closed off to connecting with her mother because she's a moody teenager and she thinks that that's not cool. Who wonders why Cooper had but you know what I mean it's the 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 whole point of that scene is to show awkwardness and disharmony so that then by the end of the film, when they're they're reconnected emotionally, you've seen that arc
0: and also like the fight scene on the beach like it yeah. turned from them fighting to them singing and dancing like that i do not even realize how that happened like it was weird
1: but you know that's that's the other thing is that you know they did go from fighting to being on the same side again well cuz actually no the beach fight comes in the middle of a song huh The beach fight comes in the middle of a song.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: So they're already singing. As part of that fight.
0: Yes, but they go from (laughs) fighting and singing to singing and dancing together. Like that.
1: Mate, you've watched enough musicals, you know that sometimes that's just how it goes.
0: It's weird.
1: Right, so you just found... And
0: also, even though it wasn't possible, John Cena should have had a bigger role in this film. Right. Even though he was only there for a day, still should have had a bigger role. Right. They should have hired him.
1: Well, personally, I didn't have the same gripes with the film that Cooper had. Um, I very much was was bought in on on the narrative of the film and where the film was going and i I understand what Cooper's saying about the weirdness of it, but I think that Cooper's response to that level of discomfort was to move away from it, which is fair enough um my response was to go deeper into okay, well then you know what is what is this awkwardness? what is the director trying to tell me and that's largely because of my background and and how I've been taught to deconstruct films but I immensely enjoy Barbie because of how it uniquely sets up um not uniquely sets up but just how it establishes a world and how that world is brought through change and how the relationships between those characters are so important to the status of that world. You know, the the relationship between Barbie and Ken is so important to everything that happens in that film because, you know, Barbie is initially very dismissive of Ken and it's not that she doesn't care about Ken but it's that she's more focused on other things, which she should be. There's other things going on. But Ken's relationship and his entire sense of self-worth is so wrapped up in Barbie and what she thinks and being with her that when he goes out into the world and he's given attention, which he's not used to, it completely affects his ideology that he then takes back to Barbie land and which causes all of these issues there that then the resolution of the film is really Barbie acknowledging not that she was not that she doesn't, didn't care about Ken, but that she didn't listen and that Ken wasn't listening to himself. He was only trying to listen to Barbie. He was only trying to, he wasn't living for himself you know, it's just it's it's really interesting and it has a lot of interesting things to say about gender dynamics and, you know, interpersonal connections and I mean Barbie goes through a massive shift in this film where, you know, she undergoes this this major transformation through the experiences that she has in the real world and the experiences that she has with the other Barbies, wherein she can't really go back to being just an idea. She has to become something uh, more complex because ideas can't be complex in the way that she is becoming by the end of this film. Hmm. Don't we just love when Coop comes back after a long thing of just, Hmm. Hmm. Sounds like a villager from Minecraft. Anyway,
0: Maybe I am a Minecraft villager. Don't
1: be so rude about your own nose. It's not that big. <laughs> All right. Well I
0: don't even understand that.
1: Because <laughs> Minecraft villagers have massive Squidward noses.
0: What's a Squidward?
1: Oh, goodness. Now now you're all seeing what I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I don't squidward. play
0: Minecraft.
1: Squidward is a character from SpongeBob. Let me show you a picture.
0: I also don't watch SpongeBob.
1: This character. Look at his nose. Big nose. Look at a Minecraft villager.
0: I know what a Minecraft villager looks like.
1: But you don't play Minecraft. Big old Squidward nose. See, there you go.
0: That's the creepiest photo I've ever seen in my entire life.
1: Yeah, we're looking at a realistic Minecraft villager and it is terrifying. So, <laughs> Cooper, are you interested in um, how the uh, how the Barbenheimer phenomenon started? Do you know anything about the phenomenon that is Barbenheimer?
0: No, I do Do not, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. I am. So uh, for
1: those who don't know, during the pandemic, uh, so in late 2020, um, Warner Brothers basically announced that due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and due to the fact that cinemas were still really at that point, globally at least, not back on their feet they were going to release all of their 2021 films onto HBO Max, which is now just Max. Um, Now, that decision uh, did not sit well with Christopher Nolan, who, for those who don't know Christopher Nolan, he's a very analog filmmaker. He makes all of his movies on film and digitally converts them to digital formats. But he makes every film on film. He also makes it on IMAX, which is a very particular wide format size of film. Um, like, for example, the IMAX reels of Oppenheimer are 11 miles long. So 11 miles of film stock. So Nolan stated at the time, because he'd been with Warner Brothers at that point for 18 years. His films had been distributed by Warner Brothers since 2002. And he said in a statement to The Hollywood Reporter that some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find that they were working for the worst streaming service. He also said that Warner Brothers doesn't even understand what they're losing and that the decision didn't make economic sense. So basically Warner Brothers had said that for the entirety of 2021, we're going to release all of our movies direct to HBO Max. They're not going to have a cinematic release. Um, and that was the plan. This was just after Tenet had come out because Tenet came out in 2020. I'm just double checking that I'm getting that right. Yes, it did. So Nolan had just made this film through Warner Brothers and basically within the year it was announced that Nolan was moving away from Warner Brothers because, of, largely because of this decision they made. He didn't want his films going exclusively to HBO Max. And so he went to uh, Universal Pictures and... They greenlit his film, Oppenheimer. So his conditions for making this film included a budget of a hundred million, a marketing budget of a hundred million, full creative control over the project. Ah, uh, he had a bunch of financial stipulations that I won't go into. Then he had this. So he said there would have to be a blackout period where the studio would not release another movie three weeks before or after release and to ensure it wouldn't land on a streaming service immediately, a 100-day theatrical window. Now, that theatrical window is pretty massive. I mean, 100 days is three months. So Oppenheimer came into studios in July... It will leave studio. Uh, sorry, cinemas. F- not for another two months yet.
0: Well, that's almost a month and a half.
1: Yeah. No, hundred days.
0: Three, three and a half months. Sorry.
1: Yeah. So, then, uh, in April, twenty twenty two. It was announced that the film Barbie would release on that date, where originally there had meant to be a um Wiley e. Coyote animated movie. So um they will it was announced basically that April 22, 2022, that Barbie would be released on July twenty first, twenty twenty-three. So basically, Warner Brothers kind of did this to try and undermine Nolan's possible success at the box office by having this massive, you know, Greta Gerwig-directed film hit cinemas the same day as Nolan's smaller budget, three-hour-long, very kind of hyper-specifically... Um, what's the word? topic um, war film, basically. So...
0: Please stand by viewers.
1: Sorry, I'm just I've I've read up to here and I'm just catching myself up.
0: Insert elevator music here.
1: Um Okay, so the first use of the term Barbenheimer was in April of twenty twenty two, so when Barbie was out annou- was was announced the post made fun of the fact that both films seem to be constantly announcing new cast members. Um, And it was written by Matt Neglia, who is the editor-in-chief of entertainment awards website, Next Best Picture. Use of the term game pace in 2023, so this year, as internet users noted the juxtaposition of the films and posted memes on Twitter, which you will have seen that, Literally everywhere there's memes of Barbie shaking hands with Robert J Oppenheimer. There's shirts that say Barbenheimer. There's all of this kind of stuff. And what it has done financially for these films is that Barbie, as of the 6th of the 8th, which is around when we're filming this, sorry, recording this episode, uh, has earned $1 billion at the box office which for a, let me just check the budget of Barbie. I think it's about 200 million budget. Oh, about 145 million. So let's say it's 150 million uh, on a $1 billion return. They've made in profit about $700 million in profit. Oppenheimer, meanwhile, is currently as at the 6th of the 8th, so same day as that Barbie stat comes from. Oppenheimer is sitting at about 500 million, which means it's currently made $300 million in profit. So that's
0: still bloody impressive.
1: Well, and it's especially impressive given the fact that, you know, Oppenheimer is three hours long and is, I would dare say, in the States. It's pretty close to being R-rated. I don't know what it is actually, but it has nudity, which the United States uh, US rating receives an R-rating in the US. So Oppenheimer in the US is R-rated, which means that it's age-restricted for 18 uh, and above. Uh, it doesn't have that here. I believe here it would probably have an MA15 plus rating. I'm just double checking does. that now. It does. It does? Great. When you
0: look at the ads, it says MA15 plus.
1: Whereas Barbie... Is PG. I would say in the US it's PG-13.
0: No, it's PG-13 over here.
1: We don't have PG-13 over here, Cooper. Same thing. So, yes, rated PG-13 for suggestive references and brief language. So you know these are two films that you know barbie is for a younger audience but it's not for young people i mean you know you couldn't take your i w- i wouldn't take a child under about 10 years old to barbie i don't think cuz
0: i would definitely not
1: right sure but you know there there are some there's some language, there are some suggestive references, as I just said, you know there's is, there is talk about the Barbie's lack of genitals
0: That's exactly why you shouldn't take your child to this film because that scene is also very awkward, yeah, but that's the point
1: cooper i keep we keep coming back to this
0: You walk up to someone and you say you have no genitals, who says that? Well, she doesn't.
1: Barbie dolls don't have genitals. You That's don't the whole have point. to point
0: that out.
1: Yeah, but they live in a very different world from ours where there is a greater level of transparency and honesty surrounding things like that. Anyway, anyway, we'll move on. So, and then, so you have that film's made a billion dollars, which it was always going to make. Insane amounts of money, and we'll see how how high it goes. I mean, it's only as of the 6th of the 8th. That's two and a half weeks in, I think. It released on the 21st. So if we just backtrack for a, a quick second. Sorry, I'm just trying to pull up my little calendar. So it released the 21st, so that's a week. That's two weeks. So it's like three weeks. It's made a billion dollars which for a film in this day and age that's not a superhero movie or is not like an Avatar movie is pretty impressive. And even Oppenheimer making $500 is still incredibly impressive given the kind of audience that that film is going for predominantly. And I think a large part of that success comes from the fact that these films have kind of cross-marketed – They've really been marketed as a um, there was a really great word that they used in here. A counter programming. So counter programming is where um you have tonally different things um that are basically released on the same day to offer a wide range of options. So, you know, you counter program um Oppenheimer, which is this very dark meditative look at the horrors and atrocities of war, you counter-program it with Barbie, which is this, you know, it's still, it's not like a a wholly bright film. There is a lot of meditative elements to it, but generally it's a brighter, uh, more kind of visually impactful um narrative with a bit more action and a bit more uh kineticism to it. So it's just really interesting how how we've watched that play out, you know, Nolan um and Greta Gerwig have both done and and even Tom Cruise got involved in this where they're all taking photos in front of each other's posters because Mission Impossible only released a few weeks ago, which we took, which we spoke about. Um So, basically, all of those films were kind of cross-promoting each other and it's basically been to the success of them all. What did Mission Impossible do? Well, Mission Impossible is still in cinemas, but let's look at what it's currently made at the box office. Mission.
0: As of the 6th of the
1: 8th. As of the 6th of the 8th. It's nearing 500 million.
0: It's the least out of all of them. Yes. Why? It's
1: grossed 493 million worldwide. As of? As of. Yeah, the 6th of the 8th. Why is it so little? Yeah, it's also a problem because. It's a budget of nearly 300 million, which means that. I don't know if I've talked about this on this show yet. I don't think I have, or on our other show. But basically, the rule for determining a film's profit margin, and this is a super loose thing, but basically, you've got to imagine that you've got the budget of the film, which, for example, for this film is nearly 300 million. What usually will then happen is that the film will receive a marketing budget equivalent to its filmic budget. It's not always the case. For these big films, it usually is. But, you know, when you get down into the smaller stuff, it's usually um, uh, the proportions are a lot different to the, the final product. So let's just imagine that this film has a budget of nearly $300 million. So let's just say it's $300 million let's say that it's marketing budget is like 600 is like another 300 million. So that's $600 million. It's got to make at least that amount of money to break even. Then you start going into profit. So when I'm talking about Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer was made. And, and Oppenheimer is a great case study because it clearly defines in the, the terms of no one's contract that, It's a hundred million budget and a hundred million marketing budget. So then, once you get past that $200 million combined, everything's profit. Now, that's not always the case. Some people say that you should really do it as a three, you know, whatever the budget is, times that by three, and that's when you start making a profit. It really depends. At the end of the day, we're just trying to look at look for a sense of what these films are making. So for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, basically what I'm trying to say is it has not yet broke even, even by a conservative estimate of the budget versus marketing budget.
0: It won't. It's not
1: necessarily that it won't. Uh, I don't
0: think it will now.
1: I mean, it's unlikely that it will now.
0: Why is it the least out of all three? What do you mean? like why is it the one that like has the least uh box i mean
1: office? i would say that it's because it's got the least attention out of out of all of them i mean barbenheimer as i said from april last year there's been a lot of um visibility on it and i will say one one thing that i heard recently that maybe contributes to uh, the Mission Impossible thing and maybe why they should be careful with the next one is that they've done so much promotion for the jump that when you actually see it in the film, it doesn't have the same impact as it would have if you'd only heard, oh, Tom does one of his biggest stunts. It's It's a massive jump.
0: Everyone had already seen it.
1: Everyone's seen it 500 times. I mean, I've seen, I'd seen that. I'd seen the Rome car chase. I think that in retrospect, those things would have been better to come out like July 21st. They would have been better to start releasing those videos as Oppenheimer and Barbie are coming out to really go, oh, you haven't seen Mission Impossible yet, but look at this. Look at what Tom Cruise did. You sure you don't want to go and see that on the biggest screen that you possibly can? Mm. I also should check. probably would
0: have been smarter.
1: Because also with the Mission Impossible, because I haven't looked at that particular um, website before, I just want to make sure that I'm looking at this right. Because it might be that that was the... Oh, gosh, that is the worldwide box office. So the way that the studios basically track all their things is they do domestic, they do international, and they do worldwide. So domestic is American cinemas. International is anything outside American cinemas. And the worldwide is worldwide. Um, it's both the numbers combined together. So... It's been in release for 25 days as of today. It opened to 54 million, which is quite low. And look, you can see, yeah, it's been going, it's been going, it's been fluctuating pretty heavily. It's gone up a bit over this weekend though. That's interesting. Sorry, I'm just looking at the, at all the statistics and the data on it but basically I mean more people internationally have seen it and I think that's where they can hope to see some movement is maybe it's not out in every territory yet I don't know, I'd have to double check that cause all territories like it hasn't oh no it has why have they not got that figure that's interesting I'm just looking to see if it's opened in all territories yet okay it seems it has Um, but yeah I, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do about that I think they're going to have to look at how they market the Mission Impossible films moving forward because I think that their strategy with this one fell a bit short.
0: Did they do it on the last one? No. Like promote the helicopter scene and all that?
1: Not as much as they have with this one. And I mean, Fallout, if we look at Fallout. Fallout made $791 million worldwide off a budget of $178 million. It's just its domestic opening which i think that the last one was a global opening but even if it's not oh no this is the dom- no that is the domestic opening see it made uh 246 sorry i don't know where 246 came from it made 500 i'm just losing it <laughs> right now it made fifty four million domestically. Uh that's dead reckoning did. It made fifty four million. Uh Fallout made sixty one million. So I mean that's a difference of what seven million dollars.
0: On like the first day.
1: Well, that's opening weekend. So it's the first four days roughly.
0: Yeah. What studios? Mission Impossible.
1: Paramount.
0: So if anyone at Paramount's listening, don't do that. What he yeah. said.
1: I I think that they just need to have a bit more mystique leading into these films. Because I mean, we really liked Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. We talked about it in our in our video.
0: Yeah. If you haven't seen that. Go check it out after this one.
1: In our last episode of Filmic Feelings, which wasn't a video, like I just said, it was it was a podcast.
0: The link will be in the version of description.
1: No, it won't be, because if they're here listening to this episode, then they can very easily just go down the queue of our episodes <laughs> and find the next one.
0: I don't know how Spotify works.
1: What you mean you are not watching our episode? Watching? Why do I keep saying watching? <laughs> You're not listening to our episodes every week?
0: I do listen to them every week. I just don't know how it works.
1: Right. Okay. Anyway.
0: I just click a button.
1: Click that button. Cooper, do you have anything else to say about uh, Oppenheimer and or Barbie? Uh,
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Well, that's boring.
0: Well, you asked me if I had something to say. I gave in it.
1: And I didn't like your answer.
0: Well, That's my prerogative. Well, then why did you ask? Well, because I thought you were going to say something interesting and you didn't. Well, there's nothing interesting to say if there's nothing interesting to say. That confused my brain.
1: Okay, so here's, here's a better question. Cooper, if you were to recommend to a listener, what order... Because I'm hoping that everyone has watched it. But if if they're going to watch it again and they're wondering uh, what order we would recommend watching the films in, what order would you recommend watching these films in?
0: Oppenheimer Barbie.
1: Oppenheimer Barbie. So that's how, that's how we did it. Uh, that's how I did it both times is Oppenheimer then Barbie. Yeah. And you think that's definitely the best way to watch it?
0: Well, from what I think, you need – even though I wasn't as big a fan of Barbie than Oppenheimer, you need something that'll raise your mood because Barbie's more of a fun film. Mm. So you start with that and then you go with fun. But then again, I mean, maybe that doesn't work because Bailey fell asleep during Barbie on the second watch. So maybe... Only
1: for a li- like very briefly. Half it an was hour,
0: 45 minutes. It wasn't that long. It
1: was. It wasn't. And it was just because I was very tired.
0: You fell asleep in my favourite scene of the film and I was like, look at that, and I was just like, Bailey? He's unresponsive. Get a medic. Medic on aisle five.
1: I was very tired. I'd had very little sleep the night before.
0: Well, maybe you should start getting more sleep.
1: Well, maybe... You should stop making so much noise early in the morning.
0: What do you mean making so much noise?
1: You heard me. Anyway.
0: yeah. Can I just say, we were supposed to do this podcast at 8 o'clock. It is now almost 3 o'clock. Look. And that's because he was sleeping in until what, 10 o'clock?
1: Not that late. It was just after 9 when I woke up.
0: But you didn't get out of bed until 10. No. Yes.
1: I got out of bed. You guys went off for like an hour.
0: We weren't gone that long. All
1: right. Neither of us have a sense of time. I have a sense of go watch Oppenheimer first, then watch Barbie. I think Cooper's right. I think that uh, Barbie's a nice one to watch afterwards. It's it's a bit more uplifting. Um, Not that Oppenheimer's, you know, Debbie Downer, but... um,
0: Like that one.
1: Thank you. I mean, it's a common phrase. You just like it because it's mum's name. (laughs) Fair point. So anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode, lovely listeners. Um, We will have another episode of the main show next week and then the week after that we're going to do a filmic feelings for all of the new releases in August. So that's going to be The Meg 2, The Trench. It's going to be Gran Turismo. Yeah. And I'll see if Cooper wants to go to a few of the other films that are releasing this month. Otherwise, I might do either a separate little episode doing some reviews of some stuff, or I'll just kick Cooper out for a little bit in the Filmic Feelings episode, and I'll talk about some of the movies. What? You don't want to see Chevalier with me.
0: What's Chevalier?
1: The one that was on the Today Show the other day. And oh, you I'm like, fine to oh, see that. Oh, yuck.
0: I'll go see that. This is my job now. I have to go see it. Right. Is that the case? Anyway. This is my profession and you will not insult my profession.
1: Fine. I'll just Even insult. Even though I
0: don't get paid for it. I'll
1: just insult you then. Is that all right? No. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Why don't you
0: insult yourself?
1: I don't feel like it. You know, self-love and all that. Anyway, thank you very much, lovely listeners, and we will catch you in the next episode. Bye.
0: Bye. Yee-haw.
1: ha I got to it before you. No. ha
0: Bye. Bye.